Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adam. It could be a very big day for UGA recruiting. I promise you we'll get to that here in just a couple of minutes. I do want to begin the show today, though, by sending some really heartfelt congratulations to Brian Harmon, who won the British Open uh, this weekend, finishing that off yesterday. A really dominant performance. Obviously, former UGA golfer Sepp Straka also finished second there as well. So the dogs complete annihilation of uh, Royal Liverpool, really running through that the way they've run through college football the last couple of years. But Harmon in winning this, just an unbelievable performance from kind of the word go where you know he put himself out in front and did not look back he had the great quote at one point in time where he took inspiration from Kirby Smart who said you know want to be the hunter not the hunted and that was clearly the mindset that Harmon approached it with if you watch this this weekend or if you follow the coverage there was this sort of weird controversy involving Harmon out there where you know Brian's a big hunter and some of the stuff he said in the media room about you know the way in which you know hunting has helped him be good at golf and that got turned into this like whole thing over there which i thought british people did hunt i thought like the old fox hunt thing so like they wear the plaid and put the little funny hats on with their little musket type rifles i thought that's what they did apparently not uh at least not anymore because there was some like a lot of the tabloid papers and things like that out in london had written a bunch of stuff about brian Harmon being <laughs> a hunter as if that was like a weird thing to be so uh george folks going up to uh, great britain and uh causing <laughs> all kinds of a stir uh but congratulations to brian Harmon, who wins the british open this week and as kirby smart had asked for now that claret jug gets a chance to make an appearance you would assume in sanford stadium later on this fall that could be a really good thing something else that could be by the way a very good thing is that georgia in the hopes of getting a five-star commitment tonight from linebacker justin williams now a lot of you are very well aware of what the storyline here is georgia has a commitment right now from a terrific linebacker named demarcus riddick but the expectation is is that later on this week Riddick is going to decommit from Georgia and commit to either Alabama and Auburn kind of choosing to stay in state there this is one of the worst kept secrets seemingly in all of recruiting I'm not spoiling anything it seems like everybody now pretty much knows that's the way that's going to go down and I guess as a brief aside for a moment are you like me does it seem like we have more things happening in recruiting now where there's almost no mystery and intrigue to them whatsoever like when Dylan Riola committed to Georgia it was sort of obvious that Georgia was kind of the only school that he was considering that just sort of happened. You know, we kind of live in a day and age in which in some cases NIL has created this wild surprise that comes out of nowhere every now and then there's something kind of like that. But it seems like in the day and age in which we live in, we've also created this new scenario where there are a lot of recruits and maybe this is just the kind of recruit that Georgia goes after because they're I guess not quite as interested in the drama or something, but it seems like there's a lot of recruits just by and large who are not interested in the mystery and intrigue, and they don't necessarily need the hat show. They don't necessarily need the entire world guessing where they might go, and it used to be this thing where you had almost like a pro wrestling style swerve of, hey, I'm, I'm making people think I'm going here, but I'm really going there. It sort of seems like we have less of that. I'm not saying we don't have any of it. It just sort of seems like overall we have less of that. We kind of used to. Maybe this week's an example of that where everybody sort of knows that Riddick's about to, you know, sort of de-pledge from Georgia, choose to stay in-state on that, and everybody has the anticipation that Georgia's hopes of possibly replacing Riddick in this class with sort of centering on Justin Williams. Now, of course, there's been a lot of chatter about Williams and Oregon, so certainly there are other suitors here for Williams, but this is a 
recruitment that some Georgia fans have felt good about for quite some time. Some of that is just because Georgia seems to clean house with linebacker recruiting. And so from that standpoint, Williams wouldn't be all that different than the recent great ads Georgia's had here. And another part of this is the fact that Georgia has already gone into the state of Texas, Conroe, Texas, I believe it is, the uh, high school known as Oak Ridge, and pulled another great player out of that program already in this 2024 cycle. That is Joseph Jonah Ajonye. I always mispronounce that. Jonah Ajonye, excuse me. Joseph Jonah Ajonye, four-star defensive lineman from uh, Oak Ridge, has already committed to Georgia. Uh, Jonah Ajonye and Justin Williams, as you would imagine teammates mine, have a very good relationship with each other. Oftentimes, the sort of package deal type thing ends up being kind of overblown and, and not a real thing and not the kind of reason to make a prediction about something. But in the case of Williams and Jonah Ajonye, they do seem to have a pretty legitimate bond so much so that it's thought to be a factor in why Williams might choose Georgia later on today in fact recently Joseph Jonah Ajanye the four-star defensive lineman who's a high school teammate of Justin Williams was with with Jeff Sintel and Jonah Ajanye talked about Justin Williams both what he sees from him athletically on a daily basis but also the special bond that he thinks he has with Williams this is an important word from an already Georgia commit especially in the eyes of the fact that Justin Williams could join him as a Georgia commit later on tonight. This is Joseph Jonah Ajanye. Justin, he's a freak athlete. Sometimes I think he's not even human, but yeah, he's a freak athlete. But I see it every day, so no, I'm used to it. Their relationship is really good, you know. Um, I've learned a lot from Justin, the side of football, you know, just how to be a great person. Um, he's helped me really in my face. And overall, Justin is just a great human being to be around. He's a very fun guy, funny, off the field. But when it's on the field, it's serious, you know, game time. And that's the type of guy I like to be around. So I don't think you needed much more to want Justin Williams in this class for Georgia, but hearing those words from Joseph Jonah Janye, I think would certainly spur you in that direction. The idea that uh, Jonah Janye has been impressed by his athleticism, but also feels a deep connection to him personally, helping him be a better man, he said. I think that's certainly something you love. Now, it's also interesting to note that uh, Jonah Janye is also a little bit of a, a linchpin for this Georgia class from the standpoint that he's got a good relationship as well with Williams Winery, who Georgia would obviously love to win with you know, later on this summer, the outstanding five-star, and in some respects, number one prospect in the country, at least in the eyes of some, along the defensive line there. So Jonah Janye has got a lot of uh, personal connections with a lot of top recruits, but it's Justin Williams tonight who Georgia fans are certainly hoping to win with, and the endorsement there that uh, Jonah Janye gives him is uh, only another reason why Georgia fans would feel that way. Now, part of the reason that Georgia fans have the confidence they have going into this tonight with Justin Williams is because of the success this program has had recruiting the linebacker position in particular. No matter what DeMarcus Riddick chooses to do, Georgia has seemingly cleaned house and got whatever linebackers it has really wanted to get. You go back to a year ago, the C.J. Allens, the Raylan Wilsons, the Troy Bowles, and that's as good a trio of inside linebackers possibly that any program's ever brought in at any one point in time. And a lot of the success and the credit for that goes to a guy like Glenn Schumann. Now, Schumann's still a very young coach. He's only kind of just now, you know, developing himself here as a Georgia coach, but Georgia's ability to hold on to him for as long as it has sort of speaks to the success that Georgia has year after year recruiting linebackers 
of this caliber. It's just something that Georgia's been really good at doing. It's not just Schumann, of course. You know, you think about Todd Harley coaching the tight ends or Trey Scott coaching the defensive line or on and on you go. You talk about a Georgia staff that's been held together. Uh, coaches clearly want to be at Georgia and seemingly want to stay at Georgia there as well. And that's why season after season, recruiting cycle after recruiting cycle, Georgia is in position to win these kind of battles. In fact, if you want to go back to SEC media days, Smart highlighted that. This was the kind of the final thing he said from his opening statement before taking questions of, hey, there's one thing I want you to know about my team. It's the fact that we're keeping our coaches in place right now. And the fact that uh, a guy like Glenn Schumann, who no doubt has turned down big jobs, in fact, we're led to believe he turned down the chance to be defensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles. The fact that he turns down these big jobs gives you a chance to uh, win a recruiting battle like this for Justin Williams here today. This is what Kirby Smart said about the overall continuity of holding on to coaches going back to media days. Every full-time coach on this year's staff, listen to me carefully, every full-time coach on this year's staff was on last year's staff. Tell me the last time a national championship team can say that. Retention is the key to sustaining success. We can't do that without a supportive administration, and we sure as hell can't do that without a great culture of people wanting to be part of our program and pour it into our kids. So when you talk about that, I think Kirby Smart's desire to brag about that is certainly understandable because, as he said, when you think about a national championship-level program, the way in which you get there is by great coaches contributing to that success. Other programs notice what those coaches are making as a contribution. Of course, other programs are going to want that. After the 2021 season, Dan Lanning plucked away. He's now the head coach at Oregon. That's one of the better jobs in the country. Uh, Lanning's gotten off to a great start there. Those are the kinds of assistant coaches that you lose when you have the success that George has had. But when you also pay your assistant coaches well, when you create an environment that allows them to grow and thrive and be on the kind of platform that could one day get them to big-time head coaching opportunities, assistant coaches aren't going to leave for uh, lesser situations. Assistant coaches aren't going to leave just because they get restless. They're going to stick around because they know they can be rewarded if they do. And while they are here, while that continuity remains in place, Obviously, you have a chance to win recruiting battles like the one that George is fighting right now for Justin Williams, one of the uh, very best prospects in the entire country, regardless of position. And in particular, when it comes to the case of uh, Glenn Schumann, this is a guy who's really grown into this role, and George has benefited from it, not just the decisions he makes on the field as kind of a defensive mastermind, but the kind of relationships he has forged with linebackers like Williams. This is a guy that, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know at all. He wasn't a coach anywhere prior to coming here in 2016 but he is rightly now taking his spot among the very best assistant coaches in all of college football and once again going back to sec media days kirby smart was more than happy to kind of highlight the way in which schumann has grown and matured and now become a truly invaluable asset for these dogs this is kirby smart again first off glenn schumann's an incredible man in person. You know, he's a graduate of Alabama. He came there. He came there on the Bear Bryant scholarship. His dad played football at Alabama. He's the son of a football coach. Uh, he's extremely bright. He's extremely passionate. I rely heavily on Glenn for input on practice schedules, uh, defensive design, uh, thinking outside the box. There's not a time that when I think of who can I ask on my staff that understands what we want and what we need, Glenn Schumann's that guy. He's very talented. 
You know, and, and Glenn Shimon would be the first to admit he, he, he came to the University of Georgia without ever getting an on-the-field coaching position, and I was very confident in his role to do that. What has he done with that? He has produced one of the most productive inside linebacker rooms in the country, and uh, he, 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 he's one of the people that, that really believes in growth being a part of his process, and he continues to grow to this day. Who could dispute any of that from Kirby Smart right there? No doubt about that whatsoever. And so to sort of sum all of this up, this is what you're left with, is that tonight Justin Williams, a five-star linebacker, gets ready to make his college decision. I think it's tonight anyway. You're talking about a guy that, according to the 24-7 sports composite, is not only rated as the number one linebacker in the country, he's rated as the number 11 overall prospect. This is a major recruiting battle. Georgia is in a very good spot to win his services. In fact, most Georgia fans, I think, expect to see this one go in the direction of the dogs here tonight. Why does Georgia keep winning recruiting battles of this magnitude at this position in particular? A lot of that points to a guy like Glenn Schumann, who has become a truly, truly invaluable asset, a terrific defensive coordinator, partnering with Will Muschamp, but an unparalleled recruiter in terms of continually stacking talent in his position group room year after year. And tonight, Justin Williams may be the latest example of all of that. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Pella, window and door of Georgia, and we're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us. Live on video, we start first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app there at 945. Then at 10 a.m., we go live across all the platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and we're available as a podcast wherever you find them including the world famous dognation.com just really happy to have you with us as a part of the program today and so thankful to our friends at pella window and door of georgia for making it all possible there as well energy efficient windows and doors that's what pella windows and doors are all about we just had a week last week with their storms wind was blowing debris flying everywhere when that crazy stuff's happening on the outside nothing better than knowing your home is nice and sealed up the windows are uh, well fitted and well sealed the doors substantial and protective all that crazy stuff on the outside stays right where it's supposed to be and on the inside of your house you feel cool and comfortable and uh relaxed knowing that you've taken the best possible care of your home that you can and plus the added benefit is it looks great on the outside that curb appeal makes you a great neighbor also benefits your potential when it comes to resale value that is what pella windows and doors can be all about there as well so you've heard me talk about this it may be time for you right now to have one of those great consultations with the Pella Expert. You can do it in home. You can do it virtually. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. You can stop by and see them at the Experience Center right there in Duluth. And you can really educate yourself on why year after year in our market, homeowners are recognizing Pella as the true brand leader when it comes to windows and doors. The best decision you can make to take the best care of your home there as well. Now, when you have this kind of conversation, it's not a pressure situation. They're not going to push you towards something. They simply want to educate you about why the Pella windows and the Pella doors are the best possible product you can have for your home right there now you can also talk about great savings here too because still a few days left take advantage of a great offer how about 10 percent off your entire project or no payments no interest for 12 months so as i said before you can bring the pella folks in home to you you can go see them in the experience center there in duluth you can also give them a call 678-638-1429 that's 678-638-1429 also find them online PellaofGA.com slash dognation. That's PellaofGA.com slash dognation. Just do me a favor. When you talk to them, tell them that BA 
from Dog Nation Daily sent you to them because I know they're going to take great care of you. And it's great to have Pella Window and Door of Georgia presenting around the doghouse to us here today. All right, coming up in a couple of minutes, we are going to get an update on a fun contest we're running right now at Dog Nation that if you have not uh, participated in yet, I think the time is now to do that. We'll hear from John Stinchcomb. John was out of town last week, so we didn't get a chance to speak to John. In fact, he was on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, but we'll hear from him here today. Looking forward to touching on a number of subjects with him. Uh, In fact, let me kind of address one of those things i want to talk to john about here in a moment and we'll do so around the doghouse poured today by straw uh, dr pepper strawberries and cream and i want to make a kind of a simple point here just for a moment if you look ahead to the upcoming season for georgia there are really only four possible outcomes the goal is obviously a national championship when you have won the last two national championships your stated goal for the upcoming season is another national championship. Now, is that championship or bust? I don't know. I guess it depends on your semantics on that. But the goal for Georgia is a national championship. So relative to the goal, there are only four possible outcomes for UGA. They could have a total disaster of a season where they don't come close to achieving that goal. It's at least a possibility, I guess. They could have a hard-fought season where something unforeseen happens and they get tripped up. Either they lose in the college football playoff or they have a heartbreaking regular season loss and that prevents them from winning the national championship. In other words, they could come close to winning it, but somehow not. Some people would say, hey, maybe that's a stronger possibility than you realize because of the fact that no one's done this, won three straights since the 1930s. You have to consider the possibility that if it's been hard for everybody else, it might be hard for Georgia too. And so some sort of late season disappointment or something like that could be a possibility then the third of the four possibilities is hey it's a hard-fought season there's adversity to every turn georgia has to win a few close games they have to eke something out they have to overcome some sort of obstacle some sort of challenge and they are awarded with winning a national championship you'd say well that's a possibility for the upcoming season then the fourth of the four possibilities is this but it's not close at all that georgia just absolutely dominates everybody that it plays on a un, you know, challenged march towards a national champ. In other words, of the four things that could happen this season, one of them could be Georgia comes, you know, nowhere near achieving its goal, comes close, doesn't quite get there, hard-fought season, and closely wins the national championship. Or the fourth of those four scenarios is is that it totally dominates everybody, completely annihilates all the competition, and wins the national championship easily. Now, we are not conditioned to assume that anything in sports is necessarily easy. Predictions aren't easy to make. Championships aren't easy to win. There is more of your life spent as a sports fan dealing with disappointment than there is dealing with kind of elation. The last two years would kind of belie that, but you get the overall point. Most of us have lived for a long time waiting to see Georgia break through and win a national championship. Most of us have some respect for how hard all of this is. But let me offer you at least the consideration that maybe, possibly, not only will Georgia win the national championship this season, but you at least have to consider the possibility it actually might be kind of easy and Georgia might actually march through everybody it plays over the course of the next 15 games at least on the basis of one data point that we have out there I was actually kind of blown away by this let me show this on the screen so on Friday after we went off the air the SEC and all the media types who were there they released their official predictions for the SEC for the upcoming season did you know that Georgia was projected to have 11 first team 
all SEC players at the end of the season. 11 dogs get the preseason all SEC nod from George. 11. Let me read the names here real quickly. It's Brock Bowers, it's Ladd McConkey, it's Marius Mims, it's Tate Ratledge, it's Cedric Von Prahn, Mikhail Williams, Nazir Stackhouse, Jamon Dumas Johnson, Malachi Starks, Kamari Laster, and Javon Buller. Now, there's, I think, a total of 16 when you start bringing in like the second and the third team guys there as well. But 11 of those guys were projected to be first team all SEC players at the end of this season. Now, let me tell you something that I think you probably already know. You've heard me say this a lot over the years that great teams are made up by a collection of great players having great years, that, that you've got to have top end talent having dominant years you had enough of those guys together and that's a national championship team and you can measure this by being a first team all sec guy by being an all-american by being a first round pick there are a lot of ways to sort of measure individual season dominance but you've got to have a collection of those guys adding together in order to be a national champion y'all if the media turns out to be right and georgia has 11 first team all sec players this season's not going to be close Georgia going to win all of its regular season games going away, and I seriously doubt they'll be challenged in the uh, college football playoff there as well. And if you don't believe me, let's use recent history as a guide here for a moment because what I went back and looked at were the last four SEC national champions, how many first-team all-SEC guys they had at the end of the season. If Georgia has 11, that puts them in a category that's frankly probably never existed in the sec in fact let me show you this the two recent georgia national champions and then bama in 2020 before that and lsu in 2019 before that so the last two years georgia has had five first team all sec players at the end of the season and in 2022 georgia won a national championship about as easily as i think i think i've seen anyone win one in the past and they did so with five first team all sec guys same number that it had in 2021 obviously five first round picks on defense on that group too but five first team all sec guys so compare that to previous sec national champions some folks think that alabama belongs in the historic category from 2020 i'd say no because it was a pandemic season we don't believe the pandemic year really fully counts but nonetheless if you just for the sake of conversation include that as a data point here for a moment alabama had nine first team all sec players in 2020 now think about how much alabama dominated the sec in that particular season including an easy win against georgia they did so with nine first-team All-SEC players. LSU in 2019, that's a team that I'm more than happy to tell you is one of the best teams in college football history, if not the best single-season team in the history of the sport. They had six first-team All-SEC players. Right now, Georgia's projected to have 11. If this turns out to be true, and oftentimes with some of the stuff the media projects at the beginning of the season ends up not being true at the end of the season, so there's a chance they've overestimated what Georgia might be able to do. But if Georgia does have the 11 first-team All-SEC players, boy, you're talking about something that could truly be special here in Athens here this year. Because the funny kind of, I guess, addendum to all this is, is that when you look at who's not a first-team All-SEC player, you're led to conclude, wow, there are a couple of guys they actually may have been sleeping on a little bit. Smile Mondin's injured and banged up right now, but that's not a first-team All-SEC projected player by the league right now or the media around the league. But we certainly know a year ago that very few players at Georgia played better than Mondin did. Uh, a similar thing could be said for Kendall Milton, who, if he's fully healthy, fully ready to go here this year, who knows what he might be able to do. Uh, obviously, a guy like Dominic Love, it who's you know coming over from a transfer situation that's a guy you know worthy of consideration here right now so the funny thing about the georgia roster is the media found 11 preseason all sec guys with the first team there are other guys who didn't uh you know get that who could very easily find themselves in that conversation by the end of the year there as well 
So this is the kind of rarefied world that Georgia lives in right now. And my purpose in telling you all of this is not to say the season is going to be easy and Georgia's going to win every game for the next 15, the way it beat TCU 65-7 to the national championship. But I do want to point out here, this is not just a, you know, a typical returning national champion. This is not just a typical preseason number one team. This is a Georgia team that very much has a chance to chase history and has the kind of talent in place recognized by the media in Nashville last week to be truly one of the greatest teams of all time. Now, Kirby Smart, if he was sitting here right now, would say, B.A., shut up, because all of this comes down to how much these players want to fight, how much they want to scratch and claw, how much they want to to uh, basically go out and defend against complacency. I get all of that. That's real and that's true. And, you know, blowhard like me speaking in a microphone, you know, is, is certainly not enough to propel Georgia to that kind of greatness. And I'm not even predicting it's necessarily going to be as easy as it appears that it might be. But you have to recognize history in the making when you see it. And this kind of preseason nod suggests it could be a very special season in Athens indeed. Uh, dogs getting a lot of love last week at SEC Media Days. And that is around the doghouse. And it's poured today by Dr. Pepper, Strawberries and Cream. Now, as much as I love Georgia football, many of you know I love Dr. Pepper there as well. And I am so thankful. You know about one of the great professional privileges of my life? The idea that Dr. Pepper selected our show to help announce a brand new offering from them because you know, a lot of us have loved Dr. Pepper for a long time. And we kind of fall in love with like the Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar and some of the new things that Dr. Pepper's introduced over uh, the last few years. Well, how about this brand new offering from Dr. Pepper there as well? Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream. It's a new permanent flavor of Dr. Pepper that folks are just loving. You can find it at your local Kroger or pretty much wherever you're shopping for groceries. There's also a Dr. Pepper uh, Strawberries and Cream Zero Sugar option for you there as well the same great care that dr pepper has taken with all of its beverages over the years now it's providing for dr pepper strawberries and cream and dr pepper strawberries and cream zero sugar so if you have not tried this yet it's a great time to do so obviously a lot of folks kind of think of dr pepper and college football going hand in hand so as you get ready for the upcoming season get stocked up on some dr pepper strawberries and cream and dr pepper strawberries and cream zero sugar today all right one more thing before i bring on john stinchcomb here today i want to remind you ongoing at dognation.com we've got a great contest right now we're celebrating outstanding teachers in fact uh, around our house we've done the uh, the the back to school shopping you're getting emails every day about open houses this and all that kind of stuff like we've essentially kind of returned to a back to school mindset around our household i'm sure many of you kind of the same way there as well and if you're a teacher you're working extra hard to get ready for all of that and here around dog nation we want to celebrate some of those great teachers in our audience what i want you to do is if you know a great teacher maybe it's someone in your family maybe it's your child's teacher just a great teacher in your community go to dognation.com and nominate that teacher as one of our outstanding teachers to be celebrated here on dog nation daily the week of august 7th that's coming up each day that week we'll announce one of our winners and the teachers that win are going to get a great collection of gift cards about four great gift cards including a hundred dollar gift card to a kroger a fifty dollar gift card to target and home chef and bath and body works there as well so incredible collection of gift cards going to each of our celebrating outstanding teachers winners we announced that the week of august 7th but here's what else is cool for those of you who nominate one of these outstanding teachers, you yourself can be a, a winner too because we're actually going to give the nominator 
of prize there as well. A $50 gift card to Kroger and a Dog Nation gift bag, which includes a t-shirt and some other stuff there as well. A total value on that of about $100. So you got a chance to be a winner as a nominator and the outstanding teachers themselves get four incredible gift cards. So if you want to show some great love to some great teachers in your life, in your community, wherever else, this is a great time to do that courtesy of our friends at Kroger. So please go to dognation.com, nominate a great teacher, not only can that teacher win four incredible gift cards, including 100 bucks to Kroger, uh, you yourself can also be a big winner as the nominator there as well. So dognation.com has got all the details, and you can nominate a great teacher right there. All right, so there's a lot I want to uh, talk to John Stinch going about. It's great to have John back on the program here today. We'll get into some of the stuff that's happening with you know Glenn Schumann and, and some of the stuff as far as the projections for George for the upcoming season. We'll cover a lot of ground. We're glad to have him and all of you with us here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Endo and Door Georgia today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We'll bring back John Stinchcomb here to Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Endo and Door of Georgia. Uh, not to give too much of John's personal business away, but John enjoyed himself on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation last week. Uh, John, I'm jealous of you because, listen, I'd always like to be on. I love doing the show, of course, love being here. But if I could be somewhere else, typically speaking, floating on the Caribbean is usually a pretty good place for me to be. I trust you and your family had a great time on board a Royal Caribbean cruise ship there last week. We absolutely did. It was uh, quite a good time. Great weather, uh, good excursions. Everything was uh, top notch. So. We enjoyed ourselves. That is great to hear. So before you uh, join us, I was talking a little bit about the fact that last week, Georgia, in the when the all-SEC preseason team came out, which is essentially a projection for what the uh, league's going to look like at the end of the season, you know, I thought 11 as a first team number was, I'm not saying it was too high, but I just thought it was incredibly high. I was, I was, it was remarkable to me that many Georgia players got the uh, love that they did. And the point that I made before you joined us, John, is if Georgia really does have 11 first team all SEC players spread on both sides of the ball here for the upcoming season, then not only will Georgia go for three and 23 and win a third straight national championship, my guess is it won't be particularly close that really no one's going to have a very easy time of matching that over overall talent level for UGA and perhaps that's a reminder to us that hey you know as difficult to predict as college football often is and as ripe for you know disappointment as a season like this could potentially be this is a Georgia team that also has a special brand of history it could be chasing down right yes and and team success brings individual accolades you can look at there's always talented players on some dog teams that they just don't get their due and you, I think the opposite is holding true for Georgia. Now, that's not to say that uh, it's not deserved. I mean, there's we have talented players. As you talk about recruiting, Georgia continues to win that battle year after year, and you bring in some high-quality players. We've seen it in years past in other programs, considerably uh, the, the team to our west, and their ability to continue to keep the cupboard stocked and that's where Georgia is now, where, you know, there's projections in those lists. You look through those three teams, and uh, it, it includes some names that we haven't seen a lot from. And, you know, maybe not the, the first team, but you look in that second and third team projection, and it's just that. It's a projection of what they they might be able to, to be capable of. And, you know, I'd much rather a postseason accolade than a preseason uh, accolade, but it, it is a good indicator of the level of respect that um, 
Georgia has garnered, our players have earned, and and what's expected for this upcoming season. Well, to me, it's my favorite thing about football. You know, let's say you're Georgia's left tackle, John, and you know, in some sports, maybe this is the case, or maybe some people even kind of presume this to be true about football because you have the old idea of the name on the front of the jersey means more than the name of the back of the jersey. But the truth is, is that I do believe chasing individual success is incentivized because it contributes to team success. In other words, if you're the left tackle for Georgia, John, and you say, hey, my goal this year is to play my way into the first round or play my way into near the top of the NFL draft. Well, guess what? If you do that, the entire team benefits from that. That football doesn't really require you to choose chasing your individual success or contributing to team success because if you're the very best player you can be nfl draft scouts are going to notice that whether you have the stats or not the team itself is going to benefit from that because a team at the national championship level is a collection of individual players playing and having outstanding seasons that football does not really require you to make the choice of do i chase individual success or do i contribute to team success because the better you are individually the better that the team benefits from that collectively. I would agree with that as long as we get the clarity that you're talking about your performance, your ability, your uh, commitment to the rest of the team and, and providing the very best that you have to offer and not saying that my best is tied up in statistics. I think we've seen other players that have left the University of Georgia and obviously other places that have gone to – Uh, other schools for opportunities for them to have more individual what they would call success and really what they're what they measure success by is their stat line at the end of the day and that certainly hasn't been the culture that georgia has created georgia is saying you we want you to be the very best version of yourself that you can be for the team's success and that sometimes comes at sacrifice and that sacrifice is is that stat line that may benefit you or reflect highly on you, but doesn't lead to our team winning more ball games. And uh, as long as players go, you know, they're heading into training camp now. And that expression of big team, little me is, is an old one. That's an old adage, but it still holds a lot of weight. And I think what Georgia has created is an environment of very highly talented individuals that are putting their team success over individual stats, not their own success. And as long as there's clarity and, and separation between those two, you have a recipe for you know these national championships and at least being in that discussion to be an annual occurrence for, for your team. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, something else we talked about before you joined us was the fact that Georgia tonight hoping to win a major recruiting battle for five-star linebacker Justin Williams, and obviously that brings a guy like Glenn Schumann because that's the position he coaches back to the spotlight. We know how successful Schumann's been on the recruiting trail. But, John, what that leads me to want to talk to you about is I have a very simple belief that the most important thing that any college football team has going for it is the quality of assistant coaches that it can hold and keep over a long period of time. And I mean assistant coaches specifically here. You know, obviously Kirby Smart is maybe the best head coach, but there are a lot of programs, I think, who have good head coaches. And I'm not trying to say that anyone's better than Kirby Smart. I'm just saying that that if you and I were like the athletic director, we're the leader of the Georgia program, you know, we would understand how to go out and hire a head coach. But hiring that assistant coach sometimes is about, you know, kind of recognizing diamonds in the rough. It's about creating the kind of culture where guys want to stay. There's a certain differentiator with your quality of assistant coaches and how long you're able to keep them in place 
that to me almost supersedes the value of a head coach there as well. The fact that Georgia, as Kirby Smart pointed out at SEC Media Days last week, has all 10 of its coaches right now from having been on the staff last year. Maybe a slightly different role in the case of Mike Bobo, but nonetheless, all of these guys have been on staff. And the fact that a Trey Scott's coming back, you know, now multiple years. A Todd Hartley's now coming back multiple years. Uh, Glenn Schumann been here since the start. Del McGee been here since the start. If you want to really look at what makes Georgia, Georgia, that's it to me. No disrespect to Kirby Smart. Obviously, the overall talent level is unparalleled, but it's the year-over-year continuity of those assistant coaches that allows that talent to both arrive here be developed here and 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 really thrive here to me the georgia strength is in the continuity of his assistant coaches i was actually here i was happy to hear kirby smart kind of shout that out a little bit last week and and it's been reflected in what you see and hear from coach smart and that entire uh athletic department i mean you can just look at the the numbers in salary that that our assistant staff is receiving and you recognize the respect and appreciation um, that they're receiving, and, and rightfully so. I think head coaches are in charge of vision, mission, and methodology, and the implementation thereof is tasked to your, your coordinators and your assistant coaches. And you know, last year I'm at the Gwinnett County Hall of Fame banquet, or it might have been a couple years ago, but I'm listening to Coach Smart talking about each year he meets with his assistants and wants to know what their goals and objectives are, very similar to – the players, like what, what are you trying to accomplish? What's your, you know, when you have that three- to five-year plan, where do you want to be? And when you're recruiting players or you're recruiting coaches and you want to work with them, understanding what their goals and, and aspirations are, I think is really important for leaders. And uh, what we've seen with Coach Lanning and others, Coach Pittman, is – we can appreciate what they bring to the table and the time they're here. You try to keep them as long as you can without stunting the opportunities that you know they want to pursue. And I think Coach Schumann is another in a long list of highly capable and qualified coaches that um, we try to express our value from, from the University of Georgia and from Coach Smart, through Coach Smart, um, to keep them here to benefit from their talents as much as possible. But there will come a time where, you know, it's, it's no longer about the money. It's not about being a part of – they will want to create their own um, in that same image. And we just have to appreciate and, and get to appreciate having such highly qualified and talented coaches be a part of this staff for another year. We have not talked about the quarterback situation in a little while, going back to the spring when I know we did. I think your opinion surprised me a little bit because that was sort of the time in which I think a lot of us, myself included, really liked what we had seen from Carson Beck during uh, spring and G-Day, and I was ready to sort of proclaim Carson as the likely starter for this team here this year. At the time, you sort of said, if I'm remembering correctly, that you weren't quite ready to concede that as of yet, that you felt like this competition would be ongoing and that Brock Vandergriff would still have his chance to be kind of heard from on that. Well, last week at SEC Media Days, 
Kirby said mostly what you'd sort of expect from him on that, which is it is still an open competition and at different times maybe acknowledged that Beck might be ahead, but clearly also not ready to concede anything was Kirby Smart last week. So from that standpoint, John, where do you think all this stands here right now? And as someone who has watched quarterback competitions play out, how do you think it's going to play out here at Georgia over the course of the next few weeks? Well, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not the uh, guy who's always chasing that next conspiracy or hot take that says, oh, you know, it, it could be this dark horse. Carson Beck is the lead horse in the race. Uh, we, we all acknowledge that. I just don't think it's a done deal written in stone, and that's based on the approach that Georgia has taken for every other position group and including the quarterback room. I mean, uh, you look in the past couple of years, obviously with Stetson, he wasn't that lead horse um, when he first became the starter. As a matter of fact, he was the fourth horse in the stable at the time. And uh, you just never know how it's going to play out. And and it's different from, you know, it's not the New York Jets where it's, you know, Aaron Rodgers is the starting quarterback there. And, and there's no question. I think for, for Georgia, Carson Beck has shown a lot of promise and is further along according to what we've seen and what we hear and the expectations for him. And most likely he will be the starting quarterback. But I do think that what happens in training camp matters. And for Brock Vandergriff or Gunnar Stockton, if, if they have one of those camps where they're the hot hand and it, it shows they're uh, further along than what outsiders, including myself, have projected to be when, when the season rolls around, then they're going to be given that opportunity. And I think I say that to the credit of the University of Georgia. I think they've done an incredible job of not only saying the right things, of everyone's got a shot and it, you know, we're going to play the best players and you can still earn it. And their track record has proven that's not just empty, hollow speech. That you, know, you look, the D-line is another place where guys have been able to earn opportunities either at the front of the year or or during the year based on their performance in practice. And um, as a player, that's what you want. It keeps you hungry. It keeps you active. There's room for development. And as I get better, can I earn more opportunities? The University of Georgia says absolutely. So let me talk on both sides of my mouth here for a minute. I'm a big believer when it comes to quarterback situation. This is true for any team in any year. At some point in time, the competition sort of has to stop and the development and the preparation of the guy has to begin. You have to get your quarterback ready to play. But this year, Georgia doesn't really have an Oregon waiting week one or a Clemson waiting week one. It seems like they can kind of sort of sort of extend this competition uh, as long as they want to because there's not really anything all that pressing on the Georgia schedule for at least a couple of weeks until you play a South Carolina and then maybe even more so going on the road at the end of the first month against Auburn but on the flip side of that John you know if you don't proclaim somebody to be your you know your starting quarterback at least treating him that way whether you name him that way or not then doesn't that run the risk of not allowing the team to properly rally around him the way that a team needs to rally around its quarterback? I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, in given various situations, if you have strong leadership in that locker room, and it doesn't always have to come from the quarterback position, usually does, at least that's a part of the equation. If you've got strong leadership, if you've got guys that are vocal and out front, 
um, that can make sure that the priorities and the integrity of that locker room is unwavering and does not change based on, well, hey, we think it should be this guy. Well, what I think causes the most chaos, it's not the uncertainty of who's going to be your quarterback. It's the infiltration of my opinion matters more than uh, the coaches. And when I say that, it's the, you know little factions of players and I'm, I'm hoping, and I don't expect this from the University of Georgia. As a matter of fact, I think this is the opposite. So I think they can sustain ongoing um, competition. We're not going to say it confusion or battle or any of those words. I think competition is the right word choice there at the quarterback position. They can withstand um, and, and tolerate and even embrace ongoing competition at that position group because – it's not about one individual and it's not about my opinion and our position group's opinion of who it should be. We've got enough faith in our staff and our team and whoever they so choose and either player that if it's their number that's called, we've got our own job to do. There's an expectation for me to perform at my highest level, uh, just like we just spoke about a few minutes ago for the team's benefit. And that does not include me belly aching and saying, oh, well, that's, you know, it should be this guy and they're going with the other one. I think that's what causes the most uh, destruction in a locker room is when you allow that kind of speech to, and you start seeing it infiltrate and kind of trickle in into post game comments and uh, the backbiting happens, and that's when bad things happen. Uh, to finish up here, did you get a chance to watch much of Brian Harmon here this weekend, former UGA golfer, winning the British Open? Congratulations to Sepp Strzok as well, who became a uh, runner-up there. Uh, dogs well represented across the pond. You know what's awesome is I don't watch I'm – not, I'm, not, I'm not a golfer. I don't watch a lot of golf. But any time in any sport or in anything, if Georgia does well, yeah. it makes you proud, doesn't it? And it does. So I'm, I'm pumped up that you know Georgia is represented in yet another field – uh, of, of success and just representing the university so well. No, I think that's really well said, John. Great stuff. I think you and I are going to be together a little bit on Saturday. Big autograph signing going down. We had Coach Rick on the show uh, last week promoting that at the D1 training facility. So I guess I'll see you on Saturday afternoon and uh, look forward to seeing you back here on Dog Nation uh, Daily, presented by Pella Window and Dwarf George, of course, again very soon as well. Hey, look forward to it, BA. It's going to be fun. It's uh, anytime I get to be with Coach Rick and some other players a good time especially when you trickle in some uh some loyal dog fans no doubt about that look forward to seeing this weekend thank you john appreciate it thanks ba go dogs yes sir let's take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through so john brings up an interesting point i think this is kind of an interesting thing to observe with the audience overall obviously me and everybody in our audience we all have one thing in common we love college football right you know if you're involved in this you know show on a regular basis you're probably a college football obsessive certainly i sort of do this from the from the vantage point of a college football obsessive we are all united in our deep love for college football but then away from that we all have different interests right it's like we have one big common interest and yet our other interests can be a little bit different for instance like you know a lot of us are also very big braves fans there as well that's something we have to talk about you know kind of this time of year in addition to sort of regular love for college football. But there are some sports that 
I just don't follow very much. Now, it just happens to be that I am a very big golf fan. You know, love the British Open every year, whether a UGA golfer is going to win that or not. Love golf. There are other sports that I just don't follow very much, and I try not to pretend to be something that I'm not. For instance, I've never really been that big of a tennis fan. I don't know a ton about tennis. Like, I know that John Isner, of course, has had a great career and obviously has represented Georgia very well, but in terms of, like, watching those tennis matches and knowing a lot about what's going on, that's not really my thing quite as much. As John said, I'm always happy when a former UGA athlete does well, whatever the sport might be, but... I am not a natural tennis fan and not someone who has, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of knowledge. I know how when they feel the McGill and they kind of have the great atmospheres for the NCAA stuff there. But in terms of actually following the sport of tennis, that's never been something I've done very much. Uh, I'm not a big track and field person. Uh, you know, Matthew Bowling, who's obviously been kind of a very famous, you know, athlete at Georgia. I, th- you know, thrilled for his success and the other great, you know, track stars that Georgia has had, but. Like, I'm just not that into track. I'm not against it. I'm just not that much for it. I just don't, it's just not something I grew up following. So it's kind of weird this time of year when you get away from college football. You know, some people have a natural affinity for the track or the tennis. And I I love golf. I I love the British Open. I I love the fact there's such a great representation of former UGA golfers on the PGA Tour competing in the major tournaments. That's a lot of fun for me. For a lot of you, golf is not a natural sport that you that you necessarily love. So it's kind of interesting this time of year when you have different folks kind of gravitating towards different sports. But obviously, we all come back together for Georgia football. And that's when we love doing this show there as well. Now, John just said he also had a great time on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, which is a reminder for me to tell you that you can also have a great time on board a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. It's a great time to start thinking about those Royal Caribbean cruises, especially in 2024. One of the things you've heard me probably talk about a lot is the upcoming debut of Icon of the Seas. When this thing sets sail to begin January of 2024, it is going to be the largest cruise ship ever constructed, largest cruise ship at sea, and it's going to really kind of completely redefine the cruise vacation experience. In fact, what I'm really hopeful for to be a great endorser and a great person telling you about the great offerings from Royal Caribbean, really feel like my job in doing that would be made better if I had a chance to be on board Icon of the Sea. So hopefully early 2024, I get my chance to do that. That's at least what I'm rooting for. We'll see how all of that potentially uh, goes down. And I'll tell you about that if we get a chance to. But I want to remind you, that's not the only big new thing coming in 2024 from Royal Caribbean. I don't want you to miss the fact they're also debuting a brand new Oasis class ship there as well. It's going to be Utopia of the Seas. And Utopia of the Seas is going to go out of Port Canaveral and it's going to be especially designed for those three and four night sailings, those weekend getaways, those shorter getaways out of Port Canaveral. You know, this is really the thing that Royal Caribbean says, hey, for a lot of the people who are taking their cruise for the very first time, oftentimes the decision they're making is to be on one of those three or four night sailings, busy schedules, whatever else. Uh, That's the first cruise they try oftentimes is that three night or that four night sailing. And oftentimes that kind of goes out of Port Canaveral because for so many people, large population centers, that's just the most convenient port to get to. So therefore, we want to make that experience the best that it can possibly be. That means Oasis class ships on those three and four night sailings, including a brand new Oasis class offering like Utopia of the Seas. Really exciting times to be thinking about cruises. Jessica Slater, one you can turn to for that. 770-718-9147. She's a great travel agent. She can help you out. 770-718-9147. You can also find her online website that she's made that tells you all about Royal Caribbean, specifically the Dog Nation cruise. Also on an Oasis class ship, Allure of the Seas in April of 2024. 
royaldogs.com for that. That is royaldogs.com for that. All right, so let's talk cruiser on the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean for a moment. Uh, official predictions from the league did come out. Media days concluded at the end of the week. There's a little bit of controversy about the, uh, I guess, a handful of people. Was it five people, whatever, voted Vanderbilt to win the SEC, which is obviously pretty silly and pretty ridiculous, pretty embarrassing. Uh, however, I'm not quite so sure that a few people intentionally trying to get their SEC pick wrong is all that much worse than the typical media thing of trying to get the pick right and historically never doing so, right? Because I think the league's only picked the SEC champion right 11 times out of the last 30 years. So oftentimes when the media tries to get it picks right, it doesn't. So a small handful of admittedly goofy folks who uh, intentionally try to get their pick wrong, I'm not quite so sure that's necessarily all that much worse. If you're on social media over the weekend, you know there was a contest to see who could be the most outraged among the credentialed media for uh, the embarrassment that their brethren gave to them. I think stuff like that's pretty silly, to be honest with you. Uh, I try not to be a part of the outrage machine. And so, you know, it is sort of what it is. Ultimately, it's probably not all that consequential one way or another, because you certainly got a clear picture of what folks thought based on the, I guess, votes that were cast in earnest, if you will. So Georgia got 265 votes to win the East. Tennessee was second with 14. I think that gives you an idea, as we said before, how big the gap right now is projected to be between Georgia and the rest of the division, the rest of the league overall. It was interesting to me, and our producer Michael Carvel makes this graphic for us, to see the split in the SEC West. This is, by the way, the final year of preseason projections for these two divisions. That's going away after this season. And what you see is Alabama was picked to win the division. We had said before there had been a little bit of a debate about whether or not you could rightly say LSU was a media darling, in other words, getting too much media love, or a team that was being kind of overlooked and slept on. The fact that Bama was picked to win the division after LSU won the division a year ago to me is a suggestion that LSU I think gets to now be counted among the ranks of the underrated teams whether it actually makes good and wins the division again or not they are clearly being underrated because let's ask the question as it involves Alabama and LSU here for a moment what would be the number one reason to argue for Alabama regaining the top spot in the SEC West here this year what's the argument for that based on what Alabama lost and picked up LSU lost and picked up what's the argument for that does it in almost every way Alabama appear to be worse on paper than it was a year ago as the preseason number one team a year ago it had you know the reigning Heisman Trophy winner in Bryce Young it had Will Anderson who was kind of thought to be at the beginning of the season last year the best player in the country on defense that's what Alabama had going for it it does not have those guys now and you know don't notice disrespect to Dallas Turner who I think is a very good player but he is not considered in the same category now that Will Anderson would have been considered a year ago and the Alabama quarterback situation is a far cry from what it would have been projected to be prior to the start of the 2022 season so you've got Alabama, who I think even Bama fans themselves would say, kind of objectively, measurably a lesser team to start this season than it was to start the 2022 season. By comparison, what's worse about LSU? What's diminished about LSU from what it was a year ago? I would say very little. This is an LSU team that, to me, looks a lot like the one that won the West a year ago. So if you watch LSU beat Alabama win the West last season – and you kind of disregard that and pick Alabama to win the division this year, what you're essentially saying is, and there, by the way, is nothing wrong with saying this, but this is what you're saying. What you're essentially saying is, 
we thought that was a fluke. We don't think that's real. We don't think that's capable of being repeated year over year. That may turn out to be true. My gosh, that is putting a lot of hope and a lot of faith into the long-term history, long-range history of Alabama, and maybe not paying nearly as much attention to the actual present state of affairs. So for people who kind of wondered, is LSU a team that too many people are talking about or a team that not enough people are talking about? I think the official prediction coming from the media in Nashville last week would suggest, hey, this does sort of feel like an LSU team that slept on just a little bit. I believe of the you know, the SEC playoff contenders, we obviously think that Georgia is going to be in the playoff. We think they're going 15-0. and But the team that could join Georgia in the college football playoff in the SEC, for me this year, it's not Alabama. For me this year, it's more likely to be LSU. LSU has two quarterbacks better than anything on the Alabama roster. LSU has returning defensive linemen like Mason Smith back to full health. I think the way in which LSU is going to choose to use Harold Perkins this year is to me a little bit strange, but I'm also not in Baton Rouge. I'm not as immersed into LSU football as I am Georgia football. Maybe their reasoning for wanting to make him an inside linebacker makes all the sense in the world to those who follow the Tigers. To me, it seems a little bit strange, but nonetheless, this is one of the top returning defensive players in the entire SEC. I just think on paper, LSU looks like the better overall team. And I think the fact that the media went back to the well again with Alabama, on the SEC West anyway, is a pretty telling thing. Uh, As far as anything else from the sort of official predictions, you know, this is a very interesting year for Tennessee. And we said this going back to uh, Friday, which is when you look at the way in which Josh Heupel was treated when he made his appearance at Media Days on Thursday, didn't get least in my eyes anywhere near the same level of attention that some of the other coaches did like Vols fans I think want to be of the belief that last year was really kind of a breakthrough breakout season for them and obviously the win against Alabama was the kind of thing their fans have been craving for a long time and I'm not going to make fun of that because we as Georgia fans kind of know what that feels like you know what what Tennessee did against Alabama last year Our version of that would have been maybe beating Tennessee in the year 2000 or beating Florida in 1997 or maybe beating Florida in 2017. I mean, you know, we ourselves, if we've been around for a few years, we're not strangers to, gosh, when are we going to get the big win against the big rival? We're not strangers to feeling that way. In our lifetime, we felt that way. Uh, Tennessee fans had more than their fair share of that when it comes to frustration against Alabama. Well, they broke through and they got the win against the Crimson Tide last season. But as far as what happened after that, you know, we're not really competitive on the field against Georgia, lost again to South Carolina, that the Alabama fan win, I think, rightly felt very big to Tennessee fans. But the evidence of that as a true breakthrough, that may be more lacking than they properly realize, I, I, I think anyway. And so finding some way to build on that here this year is going to be a very important job for Josh Heupel, and it is not going to be easy. Not when you, you know, you lost a quarterback like Hendon Hooker and wide receivers like you know Tillman and Hyatt. Not to say that you know Milton can't be as good as Hooker was. I mean, let's face it, Hendon Hooker wasn't much before he came to Tennessee and really thrived in the Josh Heupel offense. Joe Milton, I guess, could do the same thing there as well. But at one point in time, they had uh, uh, Milton tabbed as their starting quarterback, and he didn't quite you know live into that role necessarily. Still haven't probably got the defense fixed as of yet. In the SEC, you need that. You can't be a one-dimensional team. Right now, Tennessee is. They're going to have a lot of games circled here this season. You know, it's the revenge game for Alabama this time in Tuscaloosa. You know, they want to have the Georgia game circled. Let's see what they do prior to that to see if they can make that game even matter. 
I think Alabama should say I think that uh, Tennessee South Carolina is a monstrous game. South Carolina embarrassed Tennessee a year ago. That may be the biggest overall game that Tennessee plays here this season because everything that Josh Heupel thinks he's done at Tennessee, Shane Beamer can rightly make a case for really doing almost the exact same thing uh, there at South Carolina. Uh, Tennessee's version of beating Bama, Shane Beamer got that against his in-state rival Clemson. That that there is a lot of attention that gets paid towards Heupel where Shane Beamer, I think, could rightly say, why doesn't some of that love come my direction? So I think it's a pretty fascinating year for Tennessee. And of you know, you sort of get past the Georgia story, the Alabama LSU story. I'd say the next biggest story in this league right now is what Tennessee can do to build off of, you know, not just beating Alabama a year ago, but they also beat LSU there as well. What can you do to build off that for the upcoming season? I think that may be one of the more interesting storylines. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. So to wrap up here handful of uh, golden shoes going the direction of brian Harmon for winning the british open there yesterday including apparently a nice smattering of georgia fans across the pond ryan Ladder from the golf channel reporting they were barking and yelling go dogs at the 72nd hole of the uh, british open he says this is heaven i believe lauren smith was famous didn't he go to the british open like many many years in a row i don't know if he still does or not but i believe lauren smith was a big attendee of the british open for a good number of years no doubt plenty of georgia fans probably were there because georgia fans seemingly are everywhere so funny stuff from ryan lavner will give the dog fans across the pond little uh, golden shoe there and then plenty of georgia fans celebrating the win including andrew hunter who told me that the dog fans are going to be ringing the chapel bell on campus last night at 6 p.m courtesy of brian Harmon's open championship win andrew that's great to hear mark morris also saying which performance is more dominant 65 7 over tcu or brian Harmon winning by six strokes the british open boy two great dominant performances certainly plenty of things for georgia fans to be happy about there and more happiness to come with our gatorade countdown because george is going to be back in jacksonville 96 days from now beating up on florida again that is our gator hater countdown y'all have a great day we'll see you back here tomorrow for dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia